Hello and happy Friday to everyone. I hope that you're excited for the weekend and I'm super curious. What do you have planned? Anybody have any big plans for the weekend? Tell me in the comments. Hi, Vince. Hi, Lisa. Welcome. Welcome. Glad you're here. Okay. So sometimes I struggle with knowing what it is that that I should talk about. And um, especially coming off of a weekend that, that I've just taught, that makes it even more difficult for some reason. But don't worry, I've got to figure it out. We're going to talk about being um, ambassadors, what that means. And um, we're going to look at what it means in the natural and what it means spiritually. Hello, good morning. Um, so we're we have to start in in 2 Corinthians 5. This seems to be a very popular space of reading for us. I can I, I can not even keep track of how many times that we have gone back to 2 Corinthians 5 over the last uh, few months. It seems to be just the space that we, we like. So um, let's start in, in verse 11. We are again in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. Since we are those who stand in holy awe of the Lord, and this is the Passion Translation, in other translations, it's going to say that we are those who are under the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord seems to be a hot topic right now. Everybody is wanting to, to um, have the love of God and the fear of God compete with one another, and it's unnecessary. They are um, the same. The love of God and the fear of the Lord, it's its the same. its He is not duplistic. It, it's just how he's revealing himself. He's provoking deep awe and respect in us for him who is, it is greatly to be praised. I, I mean, like, I dare you to attempt to offer up praise that is worthy of his majesty. You know, like I, I double dog dare you. So that's what that means. Since we are those who stand in holy awe of the Lord, we make it our passion to persuade others to turn to him. We know that our lives are transparent before the God who knows us fully. Whew. If that's not a sobering thought for you, I don't know what is. We, we know that our lives are transparent before the God who knows us fully. And I hope that we are also well known to your consciences. Again, we are not taking an opportunity to brag, but giving you information that will enable you to be proud of us and to answer those who esteem outward appearances while overlooking what is in the heart. That's a very good point, but not what we're talking about. Verse 13, if we are out of our minds in blissful divine ecstasy, it is for God. But if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Hmm. I do think we're talking about this though. If I am outside of myself in ecstasy, it's for God. But if I'm in my right mind, that's for your benefit so that we can have a, a mutual understanding of what it is that God is bringing to the table. Why is it important that we stop here and really consider what it is that he's talking about? And what does this have to do with being an ambassador? If your life is always understandable, I challenge you to go further than you ever have before because we are created to be a sign and a wonder to a desperate world, a world that is aching for the love of God. And if your life does not represent something outside of what is common to the world, what, what, what kind of hunger are we capable of even creating? So as an ambassador, you should be ushering in an expression of the father that creates hunger. Okay. We're going to get into a couple stories that will really like solidify what it is that I'm talking about. So it, it, go there, allow yourself to, to escape into divine ecstasy for it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us because we are absolutely convinced that he has given his life for all of us. This means all died with him so that those who live should no longer live self-absorbed lives, but lives that are poured out for him. The one who died for us and now lives again. Is your life sitting 
in the hollows. I just really love that scripture right now. Sitting in the hollows of the father's hand. Is he capable of pouring you out right now? Or are you still in solid form? We are to become liquid before him. An expression that he is capable of pouring out. Have you given all? Have you died to, honestly, um, your reputation? Have you died? Have you crucified your ego? Or are you still wrapped up in what it all looks like? He isn't just looking for people who are willing to occasionally say the things that he is saying. He's looking for a full-on radical expression. He's looking for people who are willing to offer themselves up as a sign and a wonder. Is that you? Can you be counted among those that he is looking for? This half in, half out isn't going to work anymore. Even the, oh, well, I go to blank church. I'm an ambassador of blank church. He's not looking for that either. He's looking for those who will become an expression of his kingdom, his house, rather than individual locations that he has established on the earth. If we are all representing our our individualistic, preferenced churches, then we are not an offering that can be poured out. We have become a solid. That's not what he's after. Where were we? I just want to read that again. Um, Verse 14, for it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us because we are absolutely convinced that he has given his life for all of us. This means all died with him so that those who live should no longer live self-absorbed lives, but lives that are poured out for him. The one who died for us and now lives again. So then from now on, we have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people merely by their outward appearance. Okay, we have a responsibility here. We read this stuff and we just breeze right past it thinking, that's nice. We have to stop in the lines of scripture and allow it to provoke something in us. We have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people merely on their outward appearance. What is our duty here? What is our job as ambassadors? What is our job? We are not allowed to take information in to allow it to to, um, shape us, to even shape our thoughts. When we take in information from everyone that surrounds us and, and allow it to shape our thoughts and then our emotions and then our words and then establish things, we are a wrong expression. It's not what we're created to be. So we are not to judge by what our eyes see or what our ears hear. It's not our job. For that's how we once viewed the anointed one, but no longer do we see him with limited humid insight. Verse 17. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. Say, I'm an entirely new creation. All that is related all, emphasis on all, all that is related to the old order has vanished. Okay, we need to we need to take a break. Let's stop. Let's pause in his presence because it's really important that, that we grab hold of this. Everything associated to the old order, every part of me that was raised up in Adam has vanished. It's vanished. It's 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 no more. It can't be seen unless I choose to put it on display. What are who are you an ambassador of? That's the important question. What or who are you representing? You're representing someone, something. What is it? Is it a voice of condemnation? 
Or are you carrying the likeness of Christ? Okay. Behold, everything is fresh and new. And God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping records of their transgressions. And he has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. We are ambassadors of the anointed one who carry the message of Christ to the world as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. Is this what's true of you? Is God able to use you as a vessel to leak his essence through? I want to look back at the um, the footnote on that verse, even on that word ambassador. Brian Simmons puts it like this. To be ambassadors for Christ means that we are his diplomatic agents of the highest rank to represent King Jesus and authorized to speak on his behalf. Wow. We are the voice of heaven to the earth, invested with royal power through the name of Jesus and authority of his blood. That's huge. That's huge. Ambassadors are representatives of somebody. Who are you representing? I even think that it's interesting because I went and looked up what does an ambassador even mean here in the U.S.? And it is the highest ranking representative of the president. That's a lot of responsibility and authority. An ambassador is someone who is trusted to speak on behalf of another, to represent the essence of that person in completeness. Is that you? Have you taken that responsibility on? Now, why why are we talking about this? We're talking about this because government is extraordinarily important right now. It's what God is talking about. He is is reestablishing his government in, in spaces of the world where we have let other things come in and take precedence. We have allowed demonic expressions and partnered with demonic expressions on the earth today and allowed them to set up their dominion and God wants back what's his. So what does it mean for us to be diplomats right now? It means that he is sending us out. He is deploying us to go as ambassadors, as representatives of his voice, of his very essence of his authority to take back what is his. And honestly, you guys, he is not stopping short. He wants everything. The cost on this is is expensive. It's an expensive cost. For those of us that that are, and I know that we have people on here from, from other parts of the world, but those of us that are from the U.S., we we have so much mixture in with our belief systems regarding God that I'm I'm pretty convinced that more than half of it isn't even a kingdom expression. We've bought into consumerism because it's it is what is being emitted on a regular basis in the atmosphere because of what we have allowed to come in and take dominion. If the enemy can get us lulled by consumerism, by believing that our preferences matter, they do not. Your preference does not matter. We belong to another. It's his preference that matters. And this needs to become one of the most true things about you is his preference is what matters. And the only way that we are going to know what his preferences are is by allowing him to fill our mouths with praise and become obedient in releasing that. You cannot know him any other way. 
It is through the sacrifice of praise that we come to know what his preference is, what it is that he wants. We can't know it any other way. Are you willing to be interruptible? Are you willing to be mid-conversation and have the Lord fill your mouth with praise? And are you going to follow through and release that? We are in a crucial time. I really believe that we're in a crucial time, that whatever is being established right now, it is, is that it, it is a way of the church. He needs people who will yield to him, to what it is that he wants, to his rule, to his reign, who will become the expression of his government. It looks like something, right? Okay, let's let's keep reading here. We are ambassadors of the anointed one who carry the message of Christ to the world as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. So we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf. Turn back to God and be reconciled to him. For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. It is through our union with him that righteousness is even put on display. We have to become the foundation of his justice and his righteousness. If the world is ever going to have what it's craving, it's got to come through you and me. Okay, let's go over to 2 Thessalonians um, 2, and we're going to start in... um, Verse three. Did I say second Thessalonians? I meant first Thessalonians. First Thessalonians two. We're going to start in three. Our coming alongside you to encourage you was not out of some delusion or impure motive or an intention to mislead you, but we have been approved by God to be those who preach the gospel. How, do, do you, like, I think this is a really valid question. Do you feel the approval? of the father on your life? Do you feel the approval? Do you feel his approval? I'm not asking you to manufacture that. If you don't, then you need to get yourself before him right now. You know? So our motivation to preach is not pleasing people, but pleasing God who thoroughly examines our heart. God is our witness that when we came to encourage you, we never once used cunning compliments as a pretext for greed, nor did we crave the praises of men, whether you or others. Let me read that again because that didn't make sense to me. God is our witness that when we came to encourage you, we never once used cunning compliments as a pretext for greed, nor did we crave the praises of men. This is really important because if we're going to be true ambassadors for God, we have to give up the praises of men. He says, and that's why I wanted to read that is because he says in here two times that the motivation was not to come to please them, but to please God. Is that the one thing that is driving you? That you become a pleasing fragrance. In the nostrils of the Father. Have you come to please man or have you come to please God? Here's another way of saying it Are you willing to say the hard things? Are you willing to allow yourself to become an expression of the Father in the way He wants it? I was reading through Ezekiel yesterday, and oh my gosh. This is a man who gave up everything to become the expression that God wanted. And and the thing is, is guys, it wasn't elegant. 
There was not a single bit of elegance on the expression that God was asking of Ezekiel. God asked him to do crazy things that represented the condition of his people. God was putting on display the condition of the heart of Israel through a man that was willing to give up his entire being to be the message of God on the earth. Is that you? Have you counted the cost to that degree? I know it's sobering. But it's what God's looking for right now. And even though the consideration is sobering, the response, the yes, is intoxicating. You know what I'm saying? The, the proposition, it, it, it's sobering. I know. But once you're in it, there is, there is an intoxication that is offered to us. And, and, I, and I believe that that's what God is pouring out right now for those who are saying yes to the call. And it is going to cost you everything. The cost is severe. It means you're going to give up whining and complaining about the stupid little things. You guys, we give voice to the dumbest things. We get caught up in, in being um, um, divided within ourselves over the dumbest things, things that do not hold value. Who are you an ambassador for in those moments? We, we need to we need to rightly regard what's happening in our lives okay I want to to jump over to um to Luke let's go over to to Luke we're gonna go to Luke 7 and look at a very known part of scripture and we're going to take time to sit in it because there are places of scripture that are very familiar to us but we do not recognize the cost that is in it. So um, we are in Luke 7, and we're going to start in verse 36. And I love the subtitle of this, Extravagant Worship. Extravagant Worship. What does your worship look like right now? Is there an extravagance to it? We love these kind of words. We love, we love words like extravagant. But we do not rightly examine the cost on extravagant worship because we don't want to be uncomfortable. You know, verse 36, afterward, a Jewish religious leader named Simon asked Jesus to his house for dinner. Jesus accepted the invitation because Jesus liked to eat with people. When he went to Simon's house, he took his place at the table. In the neighborhood, there was an, an immoral woman of the streets, known to all to be a prostitute. When she heard about Jesus being in Simon's house, she took an exquisite flask made from alabaster, filled it with the most expensive perfume, went right into the home of the Jewish religious leader, and knelt at the feet of Jesus in front of all of the guests. You guys, it's really important that we understand how scandalous this actually was. Take off the table the fact that she was a prostitute, a woman of the streets. She's a woman. This would have been scandalous just on the basis of her, her, her gender. And then you add in that she's a prostitute. She's a known prostitute. The people know her. And here she comes with this extravagant 
costly measure of worship. She doesn't knock. It doesn't say that she knocks. She comes right in. She's not asking permission. She has seen for herself who Jesus is, and it provoked something in her. She's ascribing worth in this moment. You know, she sees who he is and she pulls together the most costly thing that she has access to. And we would be amiss to not even investigate, to, to not even look in the direction of how she came by this costly perfume or even the alabaster jar. Where are her wages coming from? What purchased this extravagant display of worship? You guys, this is so scandalous. It's so scandalous. Broken and weeping, she covers his feet with the tears that fell from her face. She's so allowed every part of her being to be provoked by this man, by his holiness, by his righteousness. She's so moved by who he is that she allows it to start shaping and defining who she is. She's an extravagant worshiper. She's someone who quickly counted the cost. She kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair over and over. She kissed Jesus's feet. Okay. I want you to put yourself in the seat of the host of the party and the 12 men that followed Jesus. She's a known prostitute. It's highly probable that one of them has had interaction with her. And she is using everything that she has access to to ascribe worth to the king of all kings. She's kissing him. Is your worship scandalous? A scandal costs you something. She's pouring everything out. She doesn't care about her reputation. She doesn't. Do you not think that for a moment she had this thought, like, how far am I going to go here? How far am I going to go here? She knows what has been done to her expression of intimacy. She knows how tainted she is. (laughs) She doesn't care. She doesn't care. We care too much. We care too much what it looks like. She didn't care. It cost her everything. Cost her everything. (laughs) Then she opened her flask and anointed his feet with her costly perfume as an act of worship. This is what I believe happened here. The great cost was in her tears and in her kissing and her intimacy before the Lord. That is the great cost. The perfume was for the sake of provoking the men surrounding Jesus. You know, 
God doesn't care what one iota about earthly possessions. He says they all pass away. He doesn't care about that. The fragrance for Jesus was in her risking everything to come. Risking everything to come. It was in her weeping at his feet. It was in her letting down her hair, also scandalous, and drying his feet best she could. That was the cost. That was the costly thing. That was the aroma that was pleasing before the Lord. The perfume, that was to provoke the others. It's just what I believe. Take it, pray over it. God will not stop at anything to provoke us. He won't. He's jealous. He's jealous. He is wanting to investigate our hearts. And how in the world do you think he does that? It won't work between a one-on-one between him and I. It's going to take you coming near because it says that iron sharpens iron. And the only way that I'm going to know what's really in here is by being provoked by what it is that you carry, by, by being provoked of your extravagant outward display, by what it is that you are are, are are counting as a cost by what it is that you're willing to get about to say, I am fully his. Now watch what happens. When Simon, remember he's the host, when Simon saw what was happening, he thought, this man can't be a true prophet. If he were really a prophet, he would know what kind of sinful woman is touching him. I don't think that it was. Nope, not going to go there. Okay. This is a thought. It says Simon is thinking this. He is negating who his guest is based on the extravagant worship, the extravagant display of worship that he is allowing. Wow. Jesus said, Simon, I have a word for you. I love it. Jesus, knowing his thoughts, responds, Simon, I have a word for you. Go ahead, teacher. I want to hear it. It's a story about two men who were deeply in debt. One owned, oh, owed rather, the bank $100,000 and the other only owed $10,000. When it was obvious that neither of them would be able to repay all that they owed, uh, sorry, I'm skipping ahead. When it was obvious that neither of them would be able to repay their debts, the kind banker graciously wrote off the debts and forgave all that they owed. Tell me, Simon, which of the two debtors would be the most thankful? Which one would love the banker most? Simon answered, I suppose it would be the one with the greatest debt forgiven. You're right, Jesus agreed. Then he spoke to Simon about the woman still weeping at his feet. This is steadfastness on display. She is still lost in extravagance. She's still ascribing worth. I'm not even sure she hears it at this point, or maybe she doesn't. It provokes deeper displays of worship. I don't know. I don't know. But she's still worshiping at his feet. She knows what is being said about her. I'm sure she can even feel the judgment. It doesn't stop her. But we stop short all the time. We hear one word from the Lord and we're like, that'll do for today. Not this woman. She is feasting at his feet. Feasting at his feet. 
don't you see this woman kneeling here? She is doing for me what you didn't bother to do. When I entered your home as a guest, you didn't think about offering me water to wash the dust off my feet. (sighs) Yet she came into your home and washed my feet with her many tears and then dried my feet with her hair. You didn't even welcome me into your home with the customary kiss of a greeting. But from the moment I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't take the time to anoint my head with fragrant oil. But she anointed my head and my feet with the finest perfume. She has been forgiven of all her many sins. This is why she has shown me such extravagant love. But those who assume they have very little to be forgiven will love me very little. If we cannot recognize that our righteousness is as filthy rags, compared to who he is, we will not be able to rightly ascribe worth to his name. We won't. You didn't even welcome me into your home with a customary kiss. You didn't show me the right intimacy. See, Jesus knows who he is. And when we stop short, when when we are consoled, when our hunger is consoled by a tiny morsel, we aren't rightly regarding who he is. We are to go further with him. We are to press in to him and not be satisfied with such little It will require everything. Everything. He wants it all. And he's looking for those who will allow him to display signs of the condition of his church. If we do not have people who are like Ezekiel and say, have your way in me. The bride will never know how far off she is from being pure and spotless. He wants everything. And when we are consumed with keeping record of wrong, when we are consumed with constantly counting sin. And I mean shortcoming, the things that irritate us, the things that rub us wrong. We are allowing ourselves to be cornered by the enemy rather than being freed by the Christ. Do not allow yourself to be a fragrant offering of the enemy. You were made to be a fragrant offering of the Lord. We're walking diffusers. We are. We are. If you want to can if you want to think about it like that, see yourself as one of those little diffusers that you plug in, put the oils in, a little bit of water. You're a walking diffuser. You're diffusing something. What is it? What has you cornered right now? What's it going to take for you to walk in, interrupt the house party, just to sit at his feet? 
to weep at his feet, to pour out costly worship. It is only, his government is only going to be established through those vessels who are willing to offer up a sacrifice of praise in his courts. It is in his courts that his throne is established and he's wanting to establish right heavenly government, kingdom government right now. Are you going to be a vessel who is interruptible, who will allow your mouth to be filled with praise that he is asking for, not that you're comfortable with? This woman, she threw off the comfort of her life. This was her only means. Listen, her being a prostitute was her only means. It's how she got by. She gave up everything. everything. Here's what I know. A couple of weeks ago, God was just really revealing to me um, what it is that he's asking his people for. And I believe that this is mostly in our Western world where we um, make much of our possessions, where we, we um, actually gain our identity through what it is that we have, what we've been able to attain, what we've been able to earn. God doesn't really care much about what it is that we've been able to earn monetarily. He's more interested in the gain that we have with him. He's more interested in those who are willing to be a pure expression of who he is, not a pure expression of what empire looks like. We are going to we are going to see, and I believe that this is going to happen over the next few years, that we are going to see the um, the same kind of sense that, that we read about in Acts, where it says that they sold everything. They sold everything. Now, this is, this is one of those extravagant worship moves. Like, this is extravagant. We think of worship in terms of the band is up, they're ready, we've dimmed the lights, and now we're all going to raise our hands and, and and sing before the Lord, but we're going to keep it safe. We're going to keep it in the measure of comfort. We're not going to go too far. We're not going to lift our voices. We're not going to shout. We're going to keep it simple. That's how we worship right now. This is extravagant worship. When he's saying they sold everything for the sake of the kingdom, they saw more value in getting rid of all of their possessions to be able to advance the kingdom than in storing up treasure on the earth. They trusted that he is king of kings. They trusted in their inheritance through sonship more than they did because, guys, they were selling land. That, that was their earthly inheritance. Land was handed down, was passed down, family to family, family. From generation to generation, they were handed down land. They were selling off their inheritance because they looked and they saw a greater inheritance could be attained. And this is what we're going to see. We're going to see people selling off possessions, just like the woman with the costly perfume in the alabaster jar, box, flask, however you want to see it. We are going to see people opening up their homes. We're going to see multi-generational living, multicultural living. Doors are going to become very important, very important. Pay attention to the color 
change of the doors because it is going to be a sign of what it is that he is pouring out in our Western culture. He's changing deeply, changing the paradigm of the expression of his church on the earth today. And it will look like we have all things in common. We are going to care more about our neighbor's good than we are about the next TV that we hang on the wall. Really seriously, that's like how petty we are. This is what's going to happen. Are you willing to be interruptible? And I'm talking to your very core. He is coming and he is shaking everything that can be shaken. You need to you need to go there. You need to do a deep dive into that. What is it in your life that he needs to shake right now? He is shaking people down to their core. He is removing allegiance to nations for allegiance to kingdom. He's looking for those who will be an ambassador of his kingdom. A very clear, pure expression of who he is. You need to, you need to like, you need to do the serious work here. You need to go before the Lord and ask, am I like Ezekiel? And if not, God remove everything that is standing in my way from allowing you to take over, to completely possess me, to become the sign that you want me to be on the earth today. In order for us to be kingdom people, we have to give up our our rights. As American people or European people, you know, I want everything to fall off of us that does not have kingdom expression. That's what I want for us. And it's going to hurt. It is. It's going to be uncomfortable. And we need to stand tighter together now more than ever to constantly being encouraging to one another. Lower still. Lower still. And we need to stand guard. Because here's the deal. There will be bribes of the enemy that come your way. There will be. He does not want you to give up your rights as you have known it. He wants you to stay tethered to your nation. So there will be bribes and you have to be on guard. We need each other more than ever right now. We need to hold each other accountable. We have to be vulnerable with one another. Because this is going to cost us everything. Father God. Right now, I just want to admit that I hear. I hear the serious tone of your voice right now. And I hear the invitation to come and lay everything down. And I know that you're looking for a company of people that will be ambassadors of your kingdom. And we acknowledge right now that it will cost us everything. And I confess the strongholds of comfort within small beginnings that are holding us. But we rebuke that God. We rebuke that stronghold. We are those who will just, just 
blaze. I just feel this fire blazing right through those strongholds of small beginnings, of small mindedness, that we will not allow ourselves to be contained anymore or cornered by the enemy anymore, that we will move full force, that we will become the violent ones that expand your territory, that establish your dominion, your government on the earth as you see fit. That we would become interruptible at any given moment where it is that you're wanting to establish your government. That we would take praise more seriously. That we would feel it when it comes on us and we would stop and offer up worth to your name in order to establish your government in that place. Father, we yield to you. And we repent for the grumbling spirit that we take on, for the woe is me attitude. When we know full well it's you stripping everything away. We repent. And right now, I can feel the upgrade that you are releasing on your people. An upgraded status as kingdom ambassadors. The invitation has gone out. And I just hear you, Father. Will you receive your orders? You're so worthy to be praised. If you're still on, you, there is a response that you, you need to take before the King of Kings. Will you receive your orders? I don't know what that looks like for you. You need to go and do the work. You need to go and push past the tiny morsels. Go further into what it is that he has for you. And there's a response that is required of you. Don't sit on this. Do not wait. Is your life interruptible? And I know what he means by that. He wants everything. He wants everything. It will require everything. Just tell him thank you. Just tell him thank you because what he's asking is for our own good. It's for our own good. All right. I'm just going to end this. Father, thank you for the fire. Thank you for coming at us as the all-consuming one, the jealous one. We relent. We relent fully. All right. We'll talk later.